0: Uh you turn with me this morning, if you would, over to, we're going to be looking at several verses, if the Lord so guides us, I've uh, kind of noted down quite a few here, uh, to keep, keep my memory going here, the Lord may bring up others, or <clears throat> pass me over a few that I wrote down, just wherever the Spirit leads us in this, but. What kind of was on my mind this morning and actually the past few days, especially as I've kind of looked and seen on Facebook going around all the conversation uh, about what's going on over in Israel, and uh, of course all of us here know that there are different schools of thought as to the end times uh, and what is going to happen in what's called eschatology, or the study of end times, or the study of the last things. Uh, and all of us have those different understandings of the scriptures, That, and all of us have our scriptures that we use to support our theologies, so to speak, our eschatology. Uh, but it seems that today the prevailing school of thought, among most evangelicals is uh, the thought of Israel being God's chosen people that will one day be restored as God's chosen people and that uh, all of this end time stuff is uh, all pointing towards the nation of Israel and what's going to happen with the nation of Israel and so we're watching our news, we're watching our newspapers, we're watching our uh, crazy prophets on TV that uh, for 95,000 years have been looking in the newspapers saying, here it is, here it is, here it is. And uh, everyone is concerned with Israel and saying that we need to throw off all, you know, restraints and do whatever we can to back Israel because those who bless Israel will be blessed and those who uh, curse Israel will be cursed and they're God's chosen people and if you... Go against Israel, then you're going against God's chosen people, and that's going to be bad for you. And they talk about Israel coming back into the land, and they talk about Israel being re uh, re uh, established as uh, the God's nation, and that Jerusalem and, and in Jerusalem this uh, uh, rebuilt temple, they're going to have this rebuilt temple, and this is going to be the place where you know Christ is going to come and he's going to rule on the on his throne with the rod of iron and Israel's going to be put in a place of prominence over all the nations during a thousand years but all of us from Christ's death until now will be raptured out before this great tribulation takes place and uh, we're not going to experience any of that we're going to be uh, you know, we're gonna be removed from the Great Tribulation, but yet Israel is gonna be here and it's gonna go through it. God's gonna bring it back, and he's gonna fight the Battle of Armageddon, he's gonna bind Satan, and then at the end of that there's gonna be Battle of Gog and Magog, all this stuff, you know, and there's lots of lots of maps and pictures and charts and everything you can pull up. But that seems to be the prevailing thought this premillennial dispensational and even historic premillennial and some people that claim to be historic premillennial uh, still hold to this idea that the Israel of God is a ethnic or a national thing. But is that what the scriptures teach? We want to be biblical, right? We, we don't want to follow after the theologies of men. And by the way, and I'm not getting into this, and I'm not actually going to talk about eschatology today. I mainly want to talk about what the Bible teaches about who Israel actually is. Is the nation Israel, God's chosen people that that we are to be looking for and supporting, or is that talking about somebody else? But in all the talk and discussion about the end times and everything like that, brethren, we got to remember that whether you go to Revelation or whether you go to the Old Testament and all the prophecies telling about the end, whether you uh, look at anything that's in the New Testament, when it all is boiled down, everything, as I say all the time here, and I don't think I say it enough because we never can hear it enough, everything in this book is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's to be focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's to be to the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we have running amok amongst evangelicalism today and modern Christianity is this idolizing of the nation of Israel. Israel the nation of Israel and I'll just say this at the forefront here and I'm going to, I know it's a bold statement I know it's a brash statement I know that it's a statement that's going to come with a lot of, uh, uh, of uh, disgust but if you'll hear me out uh, not me but hear the scriptures out I think that you will see that the the, the comment is not unfounded but the nation Israel is not the people of God the nation of Israel, those Jews, whether they be of the pure tribe or the impure tribe of what this or that, whatever it is, I don't even know all the distinction on that, and I'll just be honest with you. I don't know all of what's going on and who's who and where's what and where's this tribe and this tribe and this tribe. I don't know all that stuff. I'm still ignorant of a lot of things, but I know this one thing that the Israel of the flesh is not the end-time Israel of God. It is not the new covenant Israel of God. It is not the people of God. Now, I've got that out. I've said it. It's out there. Let the comments begin, if they want to begin. But, brethren, we need to be biblical and not emotional and erratical. Okay? Now, um, under the New Covenant, under the New Covenant, under the New Testament, the terms Jew, the terms Israel, and even I will say the term Jerusalem has been redefined. Maybe I, I should probably say more clearly defined than their typology that was found under the Old Covenant in the Old Testament. See, Jew, Israel, Jerusalem, just like everything else we find in the Old Testament, had typology to it. It had symbolism to it. It symbolized something from a physical standpoint that show, shed forth truth about the spiritual standpoint. And as Christians, as we seek to discern and to interpret the spiritual with spiritual, okay, we want to look into what the typology is. And see, is there a New Testament fulfillment of that? Is there a New Testament definition to that? Is there a redefining of what that was physically, but what that means spiritually? (laughs) Brethren, there is no doubt that the Bible is very, very, very clear that the Old Covenant is done away with. It is not continuing on, and the Old Covenant is not going to be picked back up. The Old Covenant, according to Hebrews, has died. It's gone. It is no longer there. So there is no more Old Covenant things being played out by God. There is no more Old Covenant things that God is looking to or going to reestablish in the future because the Old Covenant has passed away. The glory has faded. It is gone. It is done with. We are no longer bound to the Old Covenant. We are no longer under the Old Covenant. We have now been married to a new husband. We have now been married Uh, brought into a spiritual kingdom, not a physical kingdom. We are now a spiritual people, not a physical people. This is all about the spiritual outworking of a spiritual gospel, a spiritual man, a spiritual God. God is spirit, and they who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's a spiritual thing. I've mentioned that over the last couple of weeks and it's several different things. We are a spiritual kingdom. We are a spiritual people. It is not about the physical. It is not about the flesh. These bodies are going to be done away with. This earth that we know is going to be done away with. It is going to be consumed in a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to be experienced by the child of grace whenever that time comes, whenever the Lord brings that. So, brethren, this is a difference in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And I would say that probably everyone listening, everyone watching, everybody here would probably all agree that we are under the New Covenant if we are the children of God. We are under the New Covenant. Right? So, why are so many people wanting to go back under the Old Covenant and pull up old covenant things. Well, that's because God made a promise under the old covenant to give certain things to certain people and only those certain people. Well, brethren, if God fulfilled that covenant, which I believe God did, because God doesn't go short on his covenants, if God fulfilled that covenant, then that covenant has been fulfilled. And if there has been a fulfillment of that covenant and their Bible says that there will be no more reissuing of that covenant, then why are we looking for the Old Covenant again? Especially when the Bible is so clear that says that that Old Covenant has been done away with. So does the Bible redefine in the New Testament, or clearly define, who the true Jew is, who the true Israel is, And where the true Jerusalem is. And what does that represent? Does the Bible teach that? Well, I believe it teaches it very, very clearly. Paul was consumed with this, I believe. He mentions it over the course of several letters to several churches. He went to Jerusalem. And he hashed out with those apostles, those Jews, who he was also a Jew, but to hash out the fact that The Gentile is no different than the Jew. The Gentile and the Jew are no different in the sight of God. They are one people. And I hope that we can see that as we read through some of these verses uh, that I wrote down here this morning. So let's start first though. Let's start in Galatians. Uh, There's several places in Galatians where Paul addresses this issue. And we'll be bouncing back and forth. So we're going to be in Galatians and we're going to be in Romans. Uh, So, you know, if you want to put uh, something to mark your spot in Galatians and one in Romans, you can bounce, so we can bounce back and forth. uh, We can. Now, before I read this, don't get me wrong. I am not a hater of the people of Israel. I'm not a hater of the people of Israel. As I'm not a hater of any other people. You know? Do I get angry about things that they do as a people? Absolutely. Do I get angry at what other people do as a nation? Absolutely. Do I get angry like I do at you, maybe? for what you do to me? Absolutely. It's not about... Or anti-Semitism. This is not about anti-Semitism. This is not about racism. This is about... "...exegeting the Scripture, interpreting the Scripture, and letting the Scripture dictate to us what we believe. Let the Scripture define, let the Scripture portray, let the Scripture be our rule, our guide." It's about what the Scriptures teach. "...and so many of us, as was I, as as many of us are here, have been and may still be in some (laughs) degrees." Influenced by our upbringing, influenced by our former training or former teaching growing up, being influenced by presuppositions, and even being influenced by the outer influence of the culture that has the same ideas about things. You know, this this country all has the idea that our country was founded as a Christian nation. But if you're truly biblical, if you're truly knows what the scriptures say and know what a true Christian believes, our country never was founded upon Christian beliefs. Okay? Matter of fact, most of our founders were not Christians at all. Most of them actually was anti-Christian. Uh, biblical Christians. So, see, the sentiment, though, of the country is, hey, we are a Christian nation. There is no such thing as a Christian nation. Okay? There is no such thing as that. But yet, that's the sentiment. That's the idea. That's the tradition. That's the the dialogue that has been given to us and placed in our head and put in our old textbooks, at least, not in the new ones by any stretch. (laughs) Uh... But in our old textbooks that we had when we were children growing up, that this is one nation under God. That's our motto. One nation under God. Well, it doesn't define which God, but it says one nation under God. That's been ingrained in our heads. So now, it's just common knowledge. Well, yeah, we're a Christian nation. We're a Christian nation. Oh yeah, America was founded on Christian principles. But see, that's because it's been ingrained. But if we go to the scriptures and see, no, that's not true. That's the same thing that we're seeing here, brethren. Because of the sentiment and the and the and the overall pressure of culture, it tells us that Israel is God's people. And that we should lay off of them and not say nothing about them and not ridicule them and always back them. No matter what they do, we have to back them. That which in that does not make any sense, right? You gotta back Israel at all costs, no matter what they do. But well, what if Israel attacks the United States? What are we gonna do now? You gonna stand with Israel? Not that it hasn't been in the past that Israel has attacked the United States, but that's another story. <clears throat> My point is this that all that are of Israel are not. Israel. The Bible clearly teaches that. We'll look at that here in a minute. But Paul here in Galatians, Paul in Romans, Paul in other places in Scripture, and Hebrews as well, is teaching that there is no distinction under the New Covenant between the Jew and the Gentile. That there is a true Jew, there is a true Israel of God, and there is a true Jerusalem that is not of the flesh, that is not carnal, that is not uh, a physical thing. And it is the spiritual definitions, the spiritual realities of those things that are of our concern, that are of our importance. That is of God's importance, okay? So in Galatians chapter 6 and in verse 15, let's look here and see first how does the New Testament under the New covenant, Covenant redefine or clearly define who is the true Jew? And what does it say about Physical Jews or old covenant Jews or national Jews or anybody else besides Gentiles. Okay? So anybody else besides Gentiles would be what? Only the Jews. Because there were back then it was it was separated two things. You were either a Israelite and therefore a Jew, and if not, you were a Gentile. You were a dog, you were an outcast, you were nothing to them. Right? Paul, by the Holy Spirit, writes, For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I am the world. Verse 15, here it is. For in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, so that means, we're talking about being in Christ Jesus is new covenant terminology, right? The Old Testament covenant, the Old Covenant, the ethnic Israel, they were not, In Christ, they were the people of God that was chosen out as servants of Christ. But they were not in union with Christ. This right here is talking about being in Christ. What is that talking about? That is talking about the election of God. That is talking about the union, that eternal, vital union that the elect people of God, the seed of Christ, the people of God. That's what this is talking about. Those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not talking about the people of the flesh. Okay? So it's not talking about uh, everyone everywhere. It's only speaking of those who, Who have been elected of God, given to Christ, and united to Him. In Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision. What does that mean? Does that mean that the men who have been circumcised are in, and the men who are not circumcised are out? I hope we all know what circumcision is. I don't want to have to really hash that out, but I think we're all pretty clear about what circumcision is. Okay, In the old covenant, which actually began, uh, the circumcision began before the law. It began with Abraham. Okay, To identify as a seal of the covenant, they, the men were to be circumcised. And if you were to be a Jew or an Israelite, you were to be circumcised. And even if you were a Gentile who came under an Israelite in their household and was a servant or whatever, you were to be circumcised. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant. Circumcision was something done in the flesh. It was something done physical. But brethren, there was a spiritual application to that, as we see in the New Testament. But as it speaks of physically, and what Paul is saying here, is what identified the Jew from the Gentile was circumcision. God gave to the Jews circumcision, to the Gentiles there was no circumcision. As far as I understand and as far as I know, except within the nation of Israel, circumcision was unheard of everywhere. Nobody circumcised their children, except for Jews. And that was something that signified and showed a difference of the people than the rest of the world. And so that became such an important concept to the Jew That was their sign and their seal of being God's people. And so, that circumcision was something that they made sure that every child was done. Matter of fact, there was a certain day that after so many days, the child was circumcised. Which, by the way, just a side note, when men are circumcised, nowadays we have uh, all kinds of medicine that can keep it from, you know, that you can do it right away, but used to, everyone, whenever a child was born, they were circumcised after so many days or hours, or days, I think it was, come to find out the reason for that is because of the certain amount of healing that the baby has at that particular time. It takes that long for that to build up where that takes place. Now, I've read that. I don't know whether that's true or not, but I've read that somewhere. But see, God determine that all the way back when, whenever he'd give them how many days before that child was to be circumcised. Now, you can go look that up. If that's not true, then that's my, my bad for believing what I read. But Anyway, the circumcision is what set them apart. And throughout all the ages, this was an important thing. that They had to be circumcised. They had to be circumcised. That sets us apart. This shows that we are his. That shows us that we're a special people. And now, all of a sudden, in the New Testament, Paul is saying this. In Christ Jesus, circumcision availeth nothing, and neither does circumcision uncircumcision. Neither one of those is important. Why? Because it's not the physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. That was a typology. The physical circumcision was given to show forth a greater spiritual reality. The circumcision that was given to the Jew was to show forth the circumcision which the Bible says is a circumcision of the heart, the cutting away of the flesh of the heart, the being, what does it say here? Look at our our verse, verse 15. What, What availeth then? For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but what does? A new creature. That's what availeth. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile. What matters is, is are you a new creature? That's circumcision of the heart. I will take out of their heart a heart of stone and I will put in them a heart of flesh. Who does that? Only God. Who does God do that for? Just the Jew? Absolutely not. He does that to Jew and Gentile alike. So, the one who is a true Jew is not the one who is physically circumcised and the Gentile is just not the one who is not circumcised. This comes down to a spiritual understanding. A Jew who is a true Jew has no issue with circumcision or uncircumcision. It's the new creature. Are you a new creature? If you are a new creature, then you are a true Jew. Look what he says. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Now, turn back in there in Galatians and go to uh, chapter 3. and Let's look down, if you would, at uh, verse 26. <clears throat> Paul said this before he even got to that in the letter. Now I did that backwards. You know, I started there because I want you to see that the ultimate, and matter of fact, that's Paul's closing remarks to the Gentiles, or to the Galatians, the Gentile Galatians. His closing remarks was leaving them with this thought. Hey, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. Matter of fact, the whole entire book has been about we are no longer under that old covenant. We are no longer under law. This is a new covenant. It has new laws that's put in our heart. Those new laws are the laws of faith. It is not an outward thing, it's an inward thing. Matter of fact, Paul even says right there, and I was going to read this later, but he says in verse 16, "...as many as walk according to this rule." What rule? The rule of not making a distinction between Jew and Gentile, and realizing that it's a new creature, that we are new creatures created in Christ Jesus, that we are the uh, spiritual seed, that this is under the new covenant, That we are no longer under law and that it is all about faith. It is all living by the faith of Jesus Christ. We live by the faith of Jesus Christ, not by the walking in the rule of the law, of the old covenant, under the old system. We are not physical people. We are a spiritual people under spiritual laws, under a spiritual uh, king, who is a spiritual God, by the way. The ones who walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. Whenever he says and upon the Israel of God, he's not making a distinction between who he was just talking about and the Israel of God. He's making a uh, he's making it clear. According to this rule, peace be on them who are them the ones walking according to the rule, and mercy on them who walk according to. The rule and upon the who is the he's talking about the Israel of God, not just the new creatures, but they are the Israel of God. The ones who walk according to the rule are the Israel of God. So he left that letter off by stating that. You know, a lot of times we save our best for last, right? (laughs) Whenever we want to close out a letter, or whenever we want to close out a if we're writing an article. We want to push forth all of what we've summed up and what we've said before. We want to get down to that. What's my main point? What was the main point in Galatia? The old Judaizers was coming in with the old covenant from the Old Testament and coming to try to subvert people's minds bring them back under the law. To bring them back under Moses. To bring them back to Mount Sinai. To bring them back to Agar. Right? That was what the deal was. You have to keep the law of Moses. You have to be under the old covenant. You have to keep up these things. Why? Because the Israel of God, they have, they're under this covenant and they have to keep this and they have to do this. They're under the covenant. But brother, for the people of God, that covenant is gone. It's dead. It's no longer there. We are no longer on Mount Sinai. We are under another mountain, which we're going to talk about here in just a minute. If we get there, a little will. So in Galatians chapter three, though you'll notice in uh, twenty six, he says, "For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus." See, the fact that we have faith in Christ Jesus shows that we are the children of God. Why? Because the children of God are like Abraham who God gave faith to. That faith that God gave Abraham was a testimony that Abraham had been justified before God and was therefore his child. Now we're going to read several things about that here in just a minute, but... It says here, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither. Now, this is not my words. This is not my theology. This is not my eschatology. This is not my anti-Semitism. This is the Word of God. There is "...is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus." Now that's pretty clear. This being the children of God, this being baptized into Christ, if you're among those people then it isn't about being Jew or Greek or Gentile. It isn't about being a bondman or a freeman. It's not about being a male or a female. God is not making distinctions when it comes down to who is represented as his children. Now God does make distinctions between his elect and the non-elect true Israel, and those who are not the true Israel, just as he did in the typology. He made choice of the nation of Israel, but not the rest of the world. That was a type of the spiritual reality. God has chosen for himself a people that he would redeem, because all of Israel was just like everybody else, but out of one lump, he chose a spirit or a physical Israel to represent, just like now, out of one lump, a spiritual Israel. And he elected them, and he chose them, and made them a peculiar people, just like he made the nation of Israel a peculiar people, the type, the fulfillment. The type, the fulfillment. The type, the substance. The type, the substance. It's all about types and substances. We find the substance of what was type. We don't continue the type. That's why I don't believe there's going to be a temple that is going to reissue sacrifices with Christ sitting on the throne saying, yippee, 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 I'm glad you guys are doing that. That's making me so happy. Oh, by the way, my cross must have been nothing to you. I'm not pleased with the sacrifices of bulls and goats. But here you are, have erected a new temple to me and are sacrificing bulls and goats again. Did you not hear what I said under the new covenant? Did you not see that everything that was in the Old Testament was for our learning? Our learning what? Our learning about history? No. Everything that was written in the Old Testament, as the Bible says, that was written for our understanding, for our learning, is not that we might just learn that it happened. We can go to any history book and probably find most of that. No, the scriptures of the Old Testament under the Old Covenant that was written and preserved was written for our understanding and learning of the substance of it because all of that in the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. And what he has done—it's for our learning and understanding that the types represent the substance; the shadows represents the reality. We learn what does the type teaches. There was a type. Israel there is a substance the people of God there is a type a Jew there is a substance those who are a new creature who worship God in spirit and in truth there is a Jerusalem a physical place where God met with these people and came down and 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 and, and his glory and met with his people and there was sacrifices made there there is a spiritual Jerusalem that is of grace where we meet with God not built with hands but a spiritual place where we are the people of God and he is our God and He is, and we are his people and we worship him in spirit and in truth and where he has given us grace and mercy and we have come to that because it is free and, and it is given to us by him That's the Jerusalem that we're looking for, not the Jerusalem of the old. I could care less what happens on that temple mount. They could blow it up and drive it down to the ground. I could care less. I'm looking for the Jerusalem that's above. I'm looking for the Jerusalem that is going to be the new Jerusalem that is the new Jerusalem, I I would say. It's not a future new Jerusalem. It is the Jerusalem that is now. The Bible says in Hebrews that you are now come. To this holy city. We're not waiting for a certain time for it to be rebuilt and everything be good in a thousand years so God okay, I'm going to make peace so everyone can come to Jerusalem. We're not waiting for those things. He says, look at verse 29. And if ye be Christ. Now let me tell you this. Is the nation Israel today? Are they Christ people? No, they reject Christ. They hate Christ. I follow a guy on... Uh, Facebook, uh, and he goes over and he preaches in Israel all the time, street preaching guy. And he preaches all the time. I'm not saying I necessarily agree with everything about this guy, but he goes over and listen, he gets attacked. If he goes over and preaches Christ, he gets attacked by the people of God, preaching about their Messiah. And he gets beat, he gets jailed while he's over there, he gets spit on. He spends money to give them literature and people are ripping it up and throwing it up right in His face. I mean, all this kind of stuff is going on. Listen, that's the people of God. Now, the Bible says, if you are My sheep, you will know Me and you will follow Me. If they are the people of God, they will love Christ. If they are the people of God, they would rejoice in Christ Jesus. Jesus even said it. If you were Abraham's seed, you would love Me, you would follow Me, you would listen to Me, you would... Know who I am. But you don't. You don't because you're not my sheep. You're not my people. You're not my Israel. If ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. See, Abraham's seed was not a physical seed. That was the type. The physical seed was the type. But Abraham's seed, what God preached to Abraham was not, hey, this is about stars, this is about sand, and this is about how your people out of your loins is going to be just like that. No. It was about the seed. It was about Christ. Abraham was called the what? Father of faith. Now, Abraham didn't muster up faith. Faith was given to Abraham. So we can't say Abraham was the father of faith in the the respect that Abraham was the first to have faith because we know that Abraham wasn't the first to have faith. Matter of fact, if you go to where we was at last week, Hebrews 11, one of the first persons that we see in the Scripture that exhibits any kind of God-given faith was Abel. Abel. But it says Abraham was the father of faith. Why? Because God set Abraham as the type of Christ. Christ was the faithful one. Christ is the one who had genuine faith that God looked at as righteousness, not Abraham. Abraham was a type of Christ. Plus we see that Abraham and the seed, the seed is not seeds plural, but seeds singularly, which would be Christ. That is who the promise is in. And all those who are in Christ Jesus are the recipients of the promise. Just like whenever Levi paid tithes unto, uh, unto Melchizedek, the Bible says Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, but that Abraham came way after Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek uh, in Levi. Or, I may have that backwards. <laughs> Levi paid, uh, uh, paid uh, tithes to uh, Melchizedek. What does that mean? That means that all the blessing is in Christ Jesus. All the promise is in Christ Jesus and those who are His seed are the recipients of that. So it's not talking about physical Abraham, physical Israel, physical Jew, physical Jerusalem. It's talking about the spiritual reality which is the substance of all of that type told about. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed. Well, wait a minute. I thought I was Abraham's seed if I was a Jew or a, a, a Israelite. No. He's saying here, there's a clearly dif- defining of what that was talking about. All of that was to tell you about the spiritual side of it, not the physical side, the spiritual side. Look with me if you would at Romans chapter 2. Uh, and Brother, if you've got anything to interject or to add to it, feel free to speak. Uh, Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Now we're talking about who is a true Jew. Does the Bible redefine or clearly define what a Jew is? What is a true Jew? Is it the type or is it the substance? In Romans chapter 2, look with me, verse 28. It says, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Wait a minute. That's what distinguishes distinguished Israel from everybody else is the outward circumcision. That made them the Jew. What made them the Jew? The outward circumcision. But here now Paul is saying he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But now you're even redefining circumcision. Circumcision. We all know that circumcision is the cutting away of the flesh that was commanded to Abraham and was passed down through the law. But wait a minute. Paul says that's not the importance here, brethren. Again, you're idolizing the type when there is the substance, the fulfillment of it. What is the fulfillment of it? but he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter. Preacher, I kind of see what you're saying now. It's not about the physical, it's about the spiritual. We keep making this, this, this distinction between physical and spiritual. Natural and heavenly. (laughs) We're, We're making the distinction that we are not to be looking at the physical things of this world. We're not to place our trust and hope in the physical things of this world. We're not to put our eyes on the physical things of this world, but the things which are in heaven. A lot of people think that Whenever the Bible tells us that to set our minds on things that are above and not on things that are below, always talks about well, we gotta think about religious things, holy righteous things. We gotta think about doctrine, all this kind of stuff. It's not necessarily thinking about that. It's just, hey, our whole purpose as a spiritual people who are spiritual wanderers, who are spiritual pilgrims in this physical world. We are a spiritual people who came from God. Our life was hid in Christ, in God. That's a spiritual life. And that life is going to go back to God, and God's going to give us a spiritual body. We're going to be a spiritual people in a spiritual body in a spiritual kingdom with a spiritual God. It's about the spiritual things. That's why it tells us, don't put your thoughts and your mind on the things of this world, but set your affections and your mind on things above. What is the teaching of the world telling us? What is the teaching of the heavenlies telling us? What is the things of the earth and what are the things of heaven? It's the first Adam who is of the earth. Earth is the second Adam and his work that is of the heavenlies. We who are after the earthy Adam are going to be like that of the heavenly Adam. See, there's always this distinction between here and there. Between us and God. Between spiritual and physical. Even within our own selves, brethren, There is the outward man and the inward man. There is the Esau and there is the Isaac. There is always the dichotomy. There is always the the separation between these things. And we have to keep them separate. If we don't keep them separate, we are going to be so confused about so much that the Scripture teaches us. He says, "...for he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is uh, outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew..." which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. What does this earthly circumcision and earthly Jewism causing people to do? Worshiping people rather than God. It's more about worshiping these people than it is about God. It's throwing the emphasis onto man and taking it away from God. That is why we don't worship in the letter, but we worship in the Spirit. That's why we are not after the letter, but after the Spirit. That's why we not are not the natural people, but the spiritual people. I know I'm going to say that a lot of times, but... It's, it's just amazing to me that anybody, especially sovereign grace people, it's amazing to me that they cannot see past this physical thing and why they are not rejoicing and worshiping in the Spirit. We're placing so much emphasis on the physical that's going to be done away with. Listen, why in the world, if Christ has a kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom that is not of this world, why in the world would he want to place emphasis on something of a kingdom on this earth that's going to be destroyed? You ever thought of that? Not to mention that the Bible clearly says that that's not the kingdom that that anybody's looking for who is a child of grace. A- Abraham wasn't looking for that kingdom. He wasn't looking for the kingdom on a, in a thousand year reign on... on the Mount of Olives sitting on a throne in a temple or something. He wasn't looking for that. He was looking for a different kingdom. He was looking for another place. I hope we are too. Look at Acts chapter 15. Verse 7. Acts chapter 15. In verse 7 it says, now, if you remember, Acts chapter 15, this is where Paul and Barnabas went up to Jerusalem to discuss this whole thing about the Judaizers coming down to the Gentile churches trying to spread law of Moses to everybody. And they said, hey, we need to go up there and take care of this. We need to go up and settle this with the other apostles. And They need to get, they, <laughs> as uh, Barney 5 would say, they need to nip this in the bud. Verse 7, and when... There had been much disputing. Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that got, that, uh, that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. Now look here in verse 9. Now, this is Peter. We've been talking about Paul, but this is Peter, who God showed this very thing to whenever he had him go to Cornelius. And put no difference between us, the Jews, and them, the Gentiles, purifying their hearts by faith. The circumcision of the heart, the new creature. I have seen and now understand that what the Old Covenant was all about was just the type, was just the shadow. But the fulfillment, the substance of it is Jew and Gentile alike, all one people. He has made no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, how do he purify their hearts? By faith. By them believing on Him? No. How did He purify their hearts? By the One who is faith. The object of faith. Christ Jesus who died for them. Christ Jesus who redeemed them, justified them, sanctified them, glorified them. Christ Jesus is the One who bore their sins, just like He did for the Jew. He bore their iniquities. He lived in obedience to the Lord's command which none of the Jews were doing nor the Gentiles. He caused them to be born from above. They are a new creation. One man. One person. In Christ Jesus. So who is the one who is a Jew? There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The Jew is one who is one inwardly who has the circumcision of the heart. Now, I know I've gone kind of long, but let's look at a few other verses here as it pertains to who is a true Israelite or what is true Israel. Look at Romans 9 with me, if you would. People watching said, oh, I know you go to Romans 9. In Romans chapter 9... We see Paul starts this out as saying, listen, and how I did a while ago, I, I, I'm, I'm not hating on people from Israel. Israelites. I'm not hating on them. Now, whenever I say maybe hating on the Jews, I don't mean that as a ethnic people, I mean that as a religious people. Because see, that's the difference. And Israel, there were Israelites... And then they were Jews. The Jew part is the religious part, the worshiping part. Okay? They became a Jew by circumcision. They were already an Israelite, but they became a Jew by circumcision. A Jew is one who has been circumcised in the flesh. Spiritual Jew, we are the elect of God, right? But we become a true Jew when we are circumcised in the heart there may be more to that that I'm even aware of and been revealed by God. But to me, the Jew is the one who is the religious portion. I do not care for the religious Jew of today because they despise Christ. They hate Christ. They are anti-Christ. They are anti-Christ. Just as the Pope is Antichrist, just as the Catholics are Antichrist, they are Antichrist. Just as every Christian who calls themselves Christian who denies this sovereign work of God in salvation, the predestinating work of God in all of His uh, creation, those people who deny the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are Antichrist. I don't care if they call themselves Christians or not, they're Antichrists. It just means. Against Christ, or it can mean opposed to, opposite of Christ. It says here in Romans chapter nine, Paul give his plea that, "Hey, I'm not throwing all my Israelite buddies and kinsmen under the bus. I love them. I care for them. I wish that all of them could be saved." And in verse six, he says, "Not as though the word of God." have taken none effect. For they, who are they? Well, he just said, those who are his kinsmen according to the flesh. The Israelites. The natural Israelites. The nation of Israel. The ethnic people. He's talking about ethnic people now. So that would be like me talking about those people living over there in the Middle East. In Israel. They. That's who they are. They are not all Israel. Who are of Israel. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that they are not all Israel, or they are not all considered to be true Israelites that are of the true national, ethnic, Israelites, who descended from the first Israel, Jacob. Who was the son of promise by Isaac. Who was the son of promise by Abraham. See, it's not about physical descendancy. It's not about DNA. It's not about your ethnicity. He's saying here, they are not all Israel. What, what is Paul saying? To sum that up, he's saying there is a distinction between national, ethnic, fleshly Israel and who we're talking about under the new covenant in this New Testament that's being written here. Under this new covenant, we are talking about the true Israel. The Israel that God intended before the foundation of the world, but typified them throughout the Old Covenant. See, God never intended bulls and goats to be our salvation, right? I think everybody in this world who even professes some hint of Christianity, and even maybe some who don't but know what Christianity teaches, would probably say that God never intended to save people by those bulls and goats then why would you think that God intended that by the nation of Israel that that would be His chosen people in distinction of His spiritual people? Is He going to continue that type and not all the other ones? He says, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. Wait a minute, I thought if I was born from the lineage of Abraham, if I was an Israelite, then I am a child. Paul said, uh, 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 uh. That was in the type. But in the substance, the reality, the true Israel, the true children of God, the true people of God, they are not the children of the flesh. These are not, not, not the children of God. Then you have the universalists that say, well, aren't we all the children of God? Maybe by creation we are all. But whenever it comes to redemptive things, whenever it comes to salvific things, no, not everybody are children of God. Including the seed, physical seed of Abraham. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. See, Paul is now clearly defining, some may say redefining, however you want to put it. Paul is making clear the definition of Jew. He's making definition of the children of God. He's making definition, uh, clear the definition of Israel. Not all that are physically descendants of Israel are of that spiritual seed, that spiritual Israel. For this is the word of promise. At the time I will come then Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. <clears throat> not of works, but of him that calleth, it was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I. Hated. We see here that it is not the children of the flesh that are counted. While you're there in Romans, let's go ahead and look at Romans chapter 11. Because everyone says, yeah, you're reading Romans 9. You get over there to 10, 11, and 12. Well, 10 and 11. <clears throat> well, let's go to Romans chapter 11. We'll start reading. Uh, I'll just, I'm will going to start reading in verse 1. It says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? Talking about the physical people. Hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people. So there you go. Someone's going to say, there you go. God hasn't cast away Israel. He's got something in store for him. He's going to do something great with them at the end of time. He's going to regenerate them, refresh them, bring them back to the land, give them back their temple, they're going to be restored to power, give them rule over the nations, and He's going to be right there beside them as the Messiah that they were looking for. But unfortunately, there is some more to that verse right there, right? God hath not cast away His people... Of the ethnic tribe, of the ethnic group, the national Israel, the na- the natural Israel, which he foreknew. See, that's the killer. That's the killer to the Zionists. That's the killer to the premillennialists. That's the killer to the dispensationalists. God hath not cast off the national part of Israel that he foreknew. And he speaks to explain that. How that's going to take place? What's going to happen amongst that? But, brethren, listen. It says here, He hath not cast away His people which He foreknew. What, ye not the, what the Scripture saith of Elias, how He maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed their prophets, dig down thine altars, and am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto Him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. There is a remnant according to the election of grace. Listen, is there going to be... Is every American going to be saved? No, but there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Is every African going to be saved? No, but there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Is there every Chinese going to be saved? No, but there is election or a remnant according to the election of grace. Is there going to be every German saved? No, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. See, that's what the, the, the issue is. Is Paul is, is 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 reverberating what the Bible has been teaching that God out of every nation tribe, and tongue is saving people out of, not saving them as a nation, but saving them out of every nation. He isn't saving whole nations and he isn't rising up whole nations to be his people. He has a people out of. Now he used a nation, Israel, as a type of out of all the peoples of the world to show forth his elect. But his elect are made up of everyone from every nation. And that's what Paul is getting across here. That I have an elect remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it is be of works then it is no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for? Well, wait a minute. So you're telling me now that there are some Israelites who's not going to get what they were looking for? What does Paul say? Let, let's, let's, quit, let's quit putting Tim LaHaye and Hal Lindsey and Timothy Eyes and Darby and Schofield and Ryrie and all those guys' interpretation on the scripture, let's let the scripture lay waste to the root of their error. But the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Who's the one who's obtaining these promises? the one who is obtaining this salvation, the one who is obtaining this prominence as the people of God, as the Israel of God. It isn't those of the flesh, it is those who are of the election of God. They have obtained it, but what about the rest of Israel? What about the rest of the ethnicity? What about those who are not of that election, of that remnant? The rest were blinded. Verse 8, according as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David said, let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, and bow their, uh, down their back always. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather, through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles. The fact that they've rejected Christ as their Messiah, as a nation, as a ethnic people, the fact that they did that, guess what? God has went to the Gentiles and preached unto the Gentiles. So their rejection, their blindness, their stumbling over the stumbling block has become Salvation. For the Gentile, now they're going to get to hear of the experience of their salvation, because now the gospel is going to them. It says, <clears throat> "Where did I leave off? God forbid!" But rather, through their salvation is coming to the Gentiles, for to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be riches of the world, and the diminution of them, the riches of the Gentiles. How much more their fullness? For I speak to you, Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are of my flesh, and might save some of them. Now, he's not saying in a legal way of salvation. He's saying saving them from the error, <laughs> saving them from their un- misunderstanding of the gospel, by preaching the gospel unto them, by giving them the truth, the report of the testimony of Christ that we talked about last week. <clears throat> he says, If the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are also the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and though being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partakers are partakers of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off. And thou standest by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. Now, what is God saying here? Are we going to lose our salvation? Are, are they going to gain salvation because of something? What's God saying here? It's an admonition. It's a, it's a reminder of them. He just said, hey, listen. He said, just because God's come to you now and you're beginning to see your salvation, don't jump down on them. And that's why I said we need to be careful, brethren, whenever we're making these distinctions. We don't hate on a people just because they're a certain kind of people. But what are we talking about? We're talking about the spiritual... And again, whenever I say I hate those Jews in the religious aspect, I'm hating that just like I hate the Catholics, just like I hate any person who is anti-Christ, who is against the Gospel, who is preaching false Gospels. I hate false Gospels. I don't like it. Why? Because it's number one, telling a lie about my Lord. Number two, it's telling people false hope about how people are saved. He says, And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut off of the olive tree which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these which uh, be the natural branches be grafted uh, into their own olive tree? For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved. Who is all Israel here? Well, brethren, all Israel is Jew and Gentile alike when all the fullness of the Gentiles come in, and then the remnant of grace among the Jews come in, of Israel, of national Israel, when all those two parties, when all the fullness have come in, then all Israel shall be saved. The Israel that is from every nation. See, up until that point in time, it was just Israel out of the nation Israel. Those who were of Israel that were actual Israel. But now we're beginning to see God calling the rest of Israel, true Israel, from all these other nations. And then whenever all their fullness have come in, then we can say all Israel have, has been saved. But you were saying at the beginning back in Romans 8 and 9, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that all Israel is not going to be saved? See, that's why you've got to take 8, 9, 10, and 11 all together. Because Paul has made one long argument over all these chapters. It's not about national election. It's about individual election. It's about each man, each woman. Not all are going to be saved. God has... Determined who he's going to give mercy to and who he's not. And he said in the type, Israel was a picture of the elect of God. The spiritual elect of God. And he says, so whenever you say, wait a minute, are not all Israel, not all is going to get it? Not all is going to receive the promises? Not all is going to get what God said He was going to get He said, absolutely, all of Israel is going to be saved. All of Israel is going to receive the promises, just as God had said. But you're misunderstanding what those things were talking about. God isn't talking about earthly, fleshly, physical things. He's talking about spiritual things. That was the type, just as the golden lampstands, the golden altar, the the Ark of the Covenant, just as the temple, just as the veil, just as the, uh, the bulls and the goats and the fire... And the, and, and, the, and the basin and all those things, those were physical things, but they all taught us about Christ. Taught us about His redemption. Taught us about His people that He would save. All that was type and foreshadowed, and so was Israel of the flesh. And He says, <clears throat> And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, There shall come out of Zion... "...the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance." For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. Even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that He might have mercy upon all. O the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways! past finding out for who hath known the mind of the Lord or been his counselor or who hath first given to him for it shall be recompensed unto him again for of him through him and to him are all things be glory forever brethren we see Paul making that distinction look back if you would with me in Galatians chapter 6 verse 16 we read it earlier It says, For as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy upon the Israel of God. Again, the New Testament is redefining or clearly defining who Israel is. The Jew, the Israel, is not one who is of the flesh. But while we're there, look in verse chapter 4 and verse 26. We're also seeing that Jerusalem is redefined. People are looking for a physical Jerusalem. Waiting on a new, or a physical Jerusalem to be restored to the uh, to the Jews, and for a temple to be built. In in, uh, Galatians chapter four and verse twenty-six, actually, I want to start back up at at verse twenty-two. It says, "For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh." But he of the free woman was by promise. Now, didn't the, we just read that those who are the children, who are the seed, are the ones who are the are, are the children of the promise. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants I've mentioned to you a while ago. We have an old covenant. We have a new covenant. One covenant has gone away. One covenant is everlasting. Right? He says, "For these are an allegory. For these are two covenants." The one from from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free which is the mother of us all. (coughs) Paul is saying, wait a minute. There's a Jerusalem that all of us who are the true children of God, that's who we're under. That's who's the mother of us. Not Agar. Look what it says there. Verse 27, For it is written, Rejoice thou barren, that bearest not, break forth and cry, that thou travailest not. For the desolate hath many more than uh, she which hath a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he... Now, remember, he's talking to Gentiles here. He's calling them the children of God, the children of promise. But as then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Listen, those ethnic Jews, those ethnic Israelites, they are... uh, Always against the Christian. Now we think that Israel is our good buddies. They might be to America, but they aren't to Christians. It says nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? And this is this would be my question for you: What saith the Scripture? It says, "Cast out the bondwoman." Cast out the bondwoman and her son. That covenant and the product of that covenant. Cast it out and it says the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Now that's pretty darn clear. The physical seed of that covenant is not going to be the heir with the free It isn't about ethnicity. It isn't about whether you're not you're of Abraham's physical seed. Verse thirty one So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Why do you want to keep placing us back under the bondwoman? Why do you want to keep looking back to Sinai? Why do you want to keep holding on to the old covenant? We are the children of the free, brother. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Look with me, if you would, at verse 22. The Bible says, but ye are come. That's present tense. It's not future tense. You will come. Someday come. It says, But ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. Brethren, we come to the heavenly Jerusalem. We're not looking to come to the earthly Jerusalem. We are come to the heavenly Jerusalem, in which the old Jerusalem that now is, when Paul wrote that, He says, that Jerusalem that now is, that is established on this mountain that hadn't yet been destroyed, that hadn't yet been torn down, had yet been judged upon, that that was then. We're not looking for that to be rebuilt. We're not looking for that to be reinstated. Matter of fact, Jesus, whenever He passed by, He said, that house is going to be left desolate. He said, I'm going to tear down that tabernacle and in three days he going to raise it up. And what was he talking about? Was he talking about that physical tabernacle? Well, he did tear that tabernacle down several years later when he came in judgment upon Jerusalem. But he was talking about his physical body. He was making the spiritual distinction about a type and shadow. That tabernacle was a was a scriptural or a spiritual uh, picture of the people of God. He said, "I'm going to tear that down," and it was a. a a picture of his body. I'm going to tear that down and I'm going to raise it up again. He says, that ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So Paul, by the Holy Spirit, has redefined Jew, has redefined Israel, and has redefined Jerusalem. But there may be some detractors that say, well, wait a minute. What about the land? They were promised the land. They don't have it. They don't have all the land that God gave them. Well, brethren, the Bible says that they got it all. They don't have it now. No, I agree with you. They surely don't have the land right now. Turn with me, if you would, to Joshua. We'll end with these. Joshua chapter 21. Joshua chapter twenty one. Now, if you remember, Moses wasn't allowed to go into the to the land. Joshua took over from Moses, and he's the one who brought the people into the land of Canaan, the Promised Land, right? He's the one who brought them in. And Joshua chapter twenty one. Now there's a lot to be said about Moses not coming into the land, being able to come into the land in the type, and the foreshadow that that was portraying. And Joshua being the one who takes them into the land. But I just want us to look here at Joshua 21, and look at verse 43. It says, And the Lord gave unto Israel... Now listen, everybody. All the land which he swore to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. All the land that he promised to their fathers, they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about, according to all that He sware unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Verse 45, listen very closely. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel, All came to pass. So brethren, all these people that keep saying they still haven't got all their land yet, they are supposed to own that land. They have have the promise of all the land and all the promises that God has given them. Listen to me. Physical Israel received all that God promised them physically. They received the land. They went into the land, possessed the land, all their enemies was defeated before their face, and every promise that God made to them physically, He kept that promise and gave them. The Scriptures say it right there. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel, all came to pass. Uh, Joshua uh, 21, uh, 43 and 40 through 45. The Lord gave Israel all the land which He swore to give unto their fathers and they possessed it. Don't tell me that Israel hasn't possessed the land that God promised to them. I've heard that my whole life. They've only only, uh, possessed partial of the land. Part of the land. Not all the land. Even right now. They're not even allowed to do a lot of things in their own land over there because Palestinians and Arabs and all the other people that are... got got. Listen, God promised him the land, promised he'd bring them in, promised he'd remove all their enemies, and that they would find rest in the land. And it says there, they possessed it, they dwelt therein, the Lord gave them rest round about, and that there stood not a man of all their enemies before them, the del- Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand, and failed not to give them everything that he promised them, and every bit of it came to pass. So, did God keep his covenant? Yes. If God doesn't give them all that land back, is he missing out on the covenant that he promised them? No, because he gave it to him and fulfilled the covenant. It all came to pass. Say, well, I thought that was to be forever. What well, does the Bible say that? What does the Bible say in One Kings chapter nine? Look if you would with me. One Kings chapter nine. Look at verse Verse One. Now this is years later, many years later. Solomon had built the temple unto God. It says, And it came to pass when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and all Solomon's desire which he was pleased to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time, as he had appeared unto him at Gibeon. And the Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou hast made before me. I have hallowed this house which thou hast built, to put my name there forever. Now also, keep in mind, brethren, this is also a type and foreshadow of spiritual tabernacles. Right? To put my name there forever, and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. There you go. The tabernacles to be forever. The tabernacles to be perpetual. There's always going to be a tabernacle. Yes, sir, there's going to be a tabernacle, all right, but it's not a physical one, it's a spiritual one. But look what he says. And it says, And if thou wilt walk before me, as David thy father walked, in integrity of heart and in uprightness, to do according to all that I have commanded thee, and will keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon this Israel, upon Israel forever, as I promised to David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. But, If ye shall at all turn from following me, ye or your children, and will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and this house which I have hallowed for my name, will I cast out of my sight. And Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all the people. And at this house which is high, everyone that passeth by it shall be astonished and shall hiss, and they shall say, Why hath the Lord done this unto this land and to this house? And they shall answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God who brought them forth who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have taken hold upon other gods, and have worshipped them, and served them, before? therefore hath the Lord uh, brought upon them all this evil. Now, brethren, God here is saying that if national, ethnic Israel, who was brought into the land, given all the promises, all came to pass the fulfillment of that covenant that God had made with their fathers and had built this holy temple, uh, this tabernacle, that, his, that He might come in and that He might be uh, dwell among them in. He said, even though He gives that, that it will be there perpetually and forever if they do not turn from following Him. If they do not go after other gods, if they don't forget me, if they don't go and worship other gods. But what happened to Israel? What is Israel doing today? At this very moment, the ones who are in war right now that everyone is saying those are God's chosen people, that those are God's, uh, that's God's nation That we should be supporting them because they are God's chosen people. God said, if you turn from Me and worship other gods, then I will remove you from off of this land. I will take out My name from this house. And I will cast you out of My sight. What did Jesus say in the New Testament? He said that they were a synagogue of Satan. He said they were whitewashed sepulchers. He said they were a brood of vipers. He said that he would leave unto them their house, what? Desolate. That's what it said in the Old Testament. I will remove my name from your house. And that's what he did. He removed his name from the house. The the physical house. The spiritual house. That tabernacle that was made with hands. God removed His name from that. God's name is no longer attached to physical, ethnic Israel. His name is no longer there. The people of God is that spiritual people who that type and foreshadow... And brethren, listen, there's no difference in the type and foreshadow as it pertains to us. Listen, we who by the natural man, we went after other gods, after other idols. We went away from him. And God is not going to do anything with this earthly tabernacle. But he has raised up for himself a spiritual tabernacle, not made with hands. And we are, as in the spiritual sense, lively stones in that tabernacle. Again, it comes down to physical versus spiritual. Brethren, every part of the spiritual part of that is type and foreshadow, and it is to be done away with and not looked at because the substance has come. We are now in the new... It's always been the new covenant, but we as the people here are under the new covenant. We're not under the old covenant. We're not under Agar. We're not under uh, Ishmael. We're not under the Sinai mountain. We're not under the old law. We're not under... The physical Israel, we are a people of God that is spiritual. Who is the Israel of God? It is the elect, spiritual people of God, the seed of Christ, the ones who are the children of promise by not physicality, but by spirituality. Well, anyway, that's my thoughts on it. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what to put a point on, but there's the point. <laughs> It's all about that so all in all this hubbub that's going on over in the Middle East and all about that and, and everybody getting wound up about that and then get mad whenever people like us say Israel is not the people of God we don't we don't back them because they're the people of God no now will America back Israel because they think that they're an ally that might be true I don't, I don't even think that should, is really good but because Israel has done a lot of atrocities of their own. But, are we bound as Christians to give credence and to give backing to an ethnic people that God has removed His name from? Are we to say that their God is our God? Is this a Judaic Christian? No, it's not. Christianity is not a Judeo-Christian religion. Matter of fact, Christianity is apart from, separate from, antithetical to Judeoism. Judeoism. The religion of the Jews is Antichrist. We will not have that man be our God. We will not have that man be our Messiah. Let his blood be on our hands and all of our children's hands. And so it has been. So it has been. The elder shall serve the younger. Think about that a little bit. As it pertains not only to the nation, Israel, and the people of God, but think about that as it pertains to this physical, this natural man, and the spiritual man. It's always going to serve. It's always going to be below. It's always going to be not the one of prominence. You know, Esau should have been the man of prominence. He was the firstborn. The Bible says that was not first which was spiritual, but that which was natural. But after that came the spiritual. We were born of Adam. Natural. But the flesh profits nothing. We've been born from above a new creation. We are born of the Spirit. We are now a spiritual life person. And that is the one that God is pleased with. Not because we do anything. He's pleased with it because it is His Spirit that is in us. He's pleased with it because it's the righteousness of God. Anyway, I could probably go on in several different directions of all that. But Anybody got any questions or comments or anything you'd like to add to anything? Like that? Well, I hope that, again, I hope that this brings emphasis back to what God has done in Christ. It's not even about us as the elect people of God. That's not where the emphasis should be. The emphasis should be on the fact of God's sovereign grace because we are no different than everybody else just like Israel of the flesh was no different than everybody else of the world but God chose us before the foundation of the world and before we had done anything good or bad that the purpose of election might stand God chose us the true Israel the true Jew And has brought us to the new Jerusalem. The true Jerusalem. The heavenly Jerusalem. The one that is free. And so, may we give honor and glory to Christ. Nobody has anything? Lord, we thank You again for this day. We thank You for Your mercy and Your grace. We thank You for Christ Jesus. We thank You for salvation, for the election of God. We thank You for the Word of God. That we have. And Father, we surely, as we speak of these things, we do not uh, speak of these in any way to be derogatory towards any kind of people, but to only be scriptural in our understanding and in our preaching. Uh, And Father, that our hope doesn't lie within a nation, doesn't rely upon a tract of land, but all of our hope is in Christ Jesus, who is the fulfillment of all these things. We have already entered into our rest. We have already entered into that land. We have been brought to that new Jerusalem. All of us now, out of every tribe, every language, every tongue, will be re- uh, represented in the, as the Israel of God. All of Israel shall be saved. And Father, Lord, we just pray that as we speak of these things, as we talk about these things to all those around us, Lord, I pray that all the emphasis would always go back to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pray now, Lord, for all these brethren. I pray that you'd give them a safe trip home. I pray, Lord, that you'd be with them this week. And, Lord, that you just might uh, keep us faithful to the Word of God, that you might continue to um, minister among us here at this church. And, Lord, I just thank you for all that you've done and the salvation that we have through Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.